This is the Wealth Standard Podcast, the gold standard in all things financial. Okay, back for his second time, Daniel Amaduri. Daniel, do you believe it's been more than two years since we had you on? That makes that that kind of makes me uh, somewhat somewhat depressed, man. We need to speak more often. I, like I read your stuff and I'm kind of plugged into what you're doing, but we we haven't talked, we haven't spoken in two two years, so uh, or over two years. So, uh, Daniel, we'll link to that past podcast. I know you did an introduction of yourself then, but why don't you take a, maybe a moment and just familiarize people, especially the new people that uh, are just listening over the last, uh, last little bit into you know, who you are, uh, what you do, and then we'll get into some intriguing things that we'll talk about today regarding uh, the economy. Um, I've always been fascinated by investing, entrepreneurship. I've been an entrepreneur um, since very early on in my life. My main focus uh, right now is futuremoneytrends.com. I also help uh, oversee several other publications, Wealth Research Group, Crush the Street, Portfolio Global, and a new one we've recently launched called Permanent Wealth Partners. It's with Keith Newmeyer, very successful uh, natural resource entrepreneur. And uh, basically it's looking over his shoulder and investing what he invests in. So we're focused on personal finance, uh, but we, you know, we're trying to find that bridge or that middle ground I think a lot like uh, your your own show where I don't want to go all Peter Schiff on people and it's just by gold and foreign currencies. And I also don't want to go Dave Ramsey on people where it's all, you know, um, you know, mutual funds and, and, and indexes and stuff. I'm looking for that realistic middle ground. And I also reflect on my own life, what worked for me. That's all I can share. And I like to share that with people. What worked for me, what worked for my wife and I, there was no easy way to wealth. Um, there are great ways that I have learned from studying rich people. Um, you know, of course, rich people have the biggest advantage of rich people is they're already rich. So they can make those hundred year decisions uh, and uh, short term volatility in the stock market or something doesn't bother them. But anyway, so my main focus today is futuremoneytrends.com. Yeah. And, it, and I, I subscribe to it and I get to, you know, the content that you're putting out there is, is awesome. And you started a podcast as well over the last little bit. Uh, where are you at with, uh, with your podcast? You know, I do an interview every week and we interview people in, in the gold space, crypto space, personal finance space. And, um, you know, we're just, we're just looking for different ideas. We're looking for those, those people out there that, you know, might think differently. Uh, maybe the guy who, you know, uh, doesn't think that, uh, you know, we're in a, we're in a Goldilocks economy, or I like to flip it around and ask the guy who, who thinks that I've talked to people recently who, who are like, look, you have no idea, you, you know, what's going to happen under the Trump administration. They're going to unleash, uh, you know, the American spirit like you've never seen it before. And Dow's going to go to 50,000. So I just like to talk to different individuals who are out there, um, you know, being bold. No, and I love that about you because I feel the same way. And it, it's, you know, I think that people, they kind of grab hold to a trend or grab, not part of the pond, but grab hold to an idea. And like they're, they, they close their mind to everything else. And I think that perspective, you, you are never going to get to the point where you're perfect, you know, surprise, surprise. But it's one of those, like, there's so many people around you that look at the world differently and seeing through their eyes, you have to actually look through their eyes, not through your lens and then their eyes. And that's why, you know, with, you know, a Dave Ramsey, like I've gotten so much from him recently uh, regarding his, his leadership stuff. Like he has some really cool things that he's, that he's come out with, with some partnerships now, I don't, I don't really agree with him on the fin- you know, personal finance side on a lot of different things, but some of those leadership things are, are fascinating. 
But yet, if I was so like close-minded to him, then I wouldn't ever be open to you know what he has helped me realize in a, in a few regards. And so I'm glad I'm glad that I'm glad to hear that because I think there's so much going on in the world right now that it's really impossible to go in and really understand everything. Uh, and uh, and so really being open-minded to other people's opinions and perspectives, uh, it's uh it's really it's really important. And you know, go ahead. real quick, I know you probably don't want to talk a lot about Dave, Dave Ramsey, and, and I think you and I both speak highly of, or think highly of him. We Obviously, we disagree with him about whole life. But um, with that said, his advice on debt is really good. And what I've, I've given this, because you know what? So many people, you're right. They just, if, if, if they don't like Dave Ramsey about whole life, then they, they hate Dave Ramsey and don't like him on anything. Mm-hmm. But if you think about the audience that he's teaching, he's not trying to reach out to guys like you, guys like me, guys like the men and women on this audience. Mm-hmm. He's reaching out to people who are a hundred thousand plus in debt to their eyeballs. They have horrible spending habits. Mm-hmm. And when you consider what the baby steps he's trying to give them, honestly, that's probably the best advice. You know, look, if somebody yeah. comes to me and says, I want to build wealth, I want to build long-term wealth. I'm going to tell them about whole life. I'm going to tell them about real estate, gold, mm-hmm. and tell them about paying off their debts. But if, if, you know, my friend who I've known since high school comes to me and he, you know, pulls up in debt to his eyeballs, driving a Maserati with no income, ask me for help. I'm not going to mention whole life or buying houses. I'm going to say, you know what, dude, you need to go and listen to Dave Ramsey for a month because you got to get your life straight before you even think about building wealth. Yep. No, I think that's really where we, you know, it's interesting. I've, recently, I've been, been working on a book and I've been doing lots of research on, you know, different aspects of the economy and where, where people are with their money. And it's amazing just how, how prevalent one kind of singular strategy is, which is using you know, the stock market, using mutual funds, using government-sponsored plans. And it's so massive. But what's even more massive is the mentality that it's created. And oftentimes, you know, people will just gravitate towards something, not because it's, it rationally makes sense, uh, but because it's what everybody else is, is doing. And oftentimes that could lead to all sorts of different things, whether it's racism, um, you know, whether it's Americanism, whether, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot that it can get very gnarly and, and destructive uh, when you do get into this crowd mentality and don't think for yourself. But I think you're right. Yeah, it's one of those things where there's so much going on in our world today that is so exciting, but there's just as much that is really, I don't know, it's, it's scary. And I, you know, get, I got an email this week from, um, from someone about, uh, it was uh, Jim Rickard's like letter to the president. Have you seen, have you seen that one? No, oh man, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. And I, and I have a uh, high regard for, for, uh, for Jim Rickards and what he's done. But it's one of those things where, you know, his perspective on things is like, holy crap. But then there's other perspectives from like, you know, Pierre Diamandis or those that are kind of like looking ahead of the curve as far as technology is concerned. And there's so much, so much there that would benefit the world. So that's, that might be a good point with, you know, where you're at in future money trends. Like what are, what are some of the things you're paying attention to right now, whether it's, you know, conferences that you've gone to uh, or blogs that you're reading or topics that you're trying to learn about. Maybe let's kind of go there just so I see where your mindset is and then we can uh, kind of uh, pick into that. Well, for per, per, we're always focused on personal finance and helping people just make prudent decisions. Uh, when it comes to investments, we're focused on three sectors right now. We're focused on the cannabis. Uh, we, we believe this is an end of prohibition moment. So we believe, but it's very early stage. It's very messy right now. But we believe that is a good place for people to position themselves. We also like the gold sector. Uh, out of the 10 historical sectors uh, of the S&P 500, it's the only one that is undervalued, not just gold, excuse me, natural resources. 
Uh, and then we're also focused on um, the cryptocurrencies. We, uh, we, you know, I, I stumbled into the space because my video guy wanted to be paid in Bitcoin. <laughs> so we uh we were forced to learn about it and uh, been to conferences i actually just got back from a conference yesterday about the blockchain mm-hmm. uh fascinating stuff yeah i was blown away i think bitcoin was only mentioned once at the very intro of the conference the rest of the speakers uh ed- ed- engineers and scientists from uh, data scientists from microsoft exxon Mobil, chevron halliburton we're all focused on the blockchain and how that would change the business and how that was going to help save a lot of money and secure systems. So those are the three like kind of exciting trends we're focused on. And then of course we focus on a lot of the normal stuff too, that, you know, just focusing on, on uh, if you're, whether you're buying a single family home or if you're just saving for the future or using whole life uh, as a, as a savings vehicle to compound your wealth, to basically, you know, bank on yourself as they say. So those are the kind of the, the bigger picture things we're focused on. And then uh, cool. if you want to get into, we can get into any, any, any one of them. Yeah, let's do. Let's just go. Let's go right down the line. So maybe let's talk about cannabis first. And and I would first state that you know I live in a very you know religious type of community here in Utah, and there is this you know stereotype to cannabis and marijuana, uh, and it's a stereotype not based on rationale. It's based on like history, and it's based on you know social perspective and purview. And I look at, you know, cannabis and what I've learned from a good friend of mine, Connor Boyack, who I've talked to you about before uh, with Libertas Institute, like there are, it's, it's one of those crazy things that back in the day, like you, you had this story being told by the textile industry about hemp and they spun it in a way that created this like total negative stigma to marijuana and the byproducts of it. So maybe like get into that. I mean, I, I would say right now it is a messy, it's a messy thing. So a lot of states are approving it, but yet federally it's still illegal. So it's one of those things where they can't use the banking system. They have to, you know, transact in alternative currencies or, or cash. Yeah, it is. It's one of those like mysterious type of industries where I don't think people peer beyond the layer of the social stigma. So maybe address that briefly and then talk about like investments that are associated with that. Sure. It's, it's without a doubt, it's, it's, it's happening. It's unfolding all across Europe. Canada just legalized it. California will be the biggest player. This is 39 million people and you've got about 250 million visitors to California annually. Uh, compare that to Cal, uh, excuse me, Colorado, uh, which has about 5 million residents and had, I think, up to 40 million visitors. Uh, now they brought in over $100 million of tax uh, revenues from the industry. And California, do the math. I mean, you're talking about an industry that's going to quickly become a billion dollar, uh, you know, just, just in revenues for the state. Mm-hmm. It doesn't include jobs and all kinds of different government bureaucracies that I'm sure will, will spawn from this. But um, I, I don't think there's any turning back the clock. You know, we had a probation, uh, 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 you know, prohibition on uh, alcohol. Yeah. Coincidentally, when that ended, uh, marijuana became illegal. And there's a lot of different things. If you listen to the history of marijuana, it is interesting. You know, it did affect minorities only in the beginning. It was called cannabis, and then they specifically used the Mexican uh, name of it to call it marijuana. You know, so it's well. That was through that whole campaign called the like the Mary Jane campaign. Have you ever looked through that? It's like fascinating just to see how like totally far gone we've got. You know, as far as what people understand about it. Now, I'll, I'll I'll tell you openly and honestly, I never tried marijuana as a teenager. And never, so I, I, you know, and and coming from, you know, Southern California, it it was definitely offered. 
And I never tried it in my 20s. Now here I am in my, my mid 30s. I've got three children, happily married. And uh, it was about two years ago, three years ago, somebody offered me some uh, to try uh, one of these gummies. And I was like, well, what's the big deal? I obviously I proved, I can say no to peer pressure in my teens and my 20s. Sure, let's try it. And I gotta tell you, that's where my eyes really opened up about cannabis and the marijuana space. I tried the marijuana and I was blown away how it was just not that big of a deal. Mm-mm. You know, here I was told as a kid that this is, you know, a dangerous drug. It's the gateway drug. It's going to hurt you. And, you know, I'm not an advocate to try it or to do it, but I'm telling you, I, I'm, a, I'm a regular wine drinker. I drink wine every night with my wife. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't see the difference at this point. Mm-hmm. Now I've tried it probably four or five times. And honestly, I don't know what the difference is between having this 10 milligrams of THC in a gummy and the difference between having, you know, a half a bottle to three fourths a bottle of wine. So mm-hmm. I would say the, the stigma around it is definitely inflated. And that's my opinion on, on personal mm-hmm. use. Yep. Um, I, my, my father-in-law uh, just retired as a, a doctor uh, uh, in, in a major hospital in Southern California. And I asked him about it because I was curious. And he's a very conservative, uh, conservative religious guy. And I always wanted to know what his thoughts were. And he says, you know, I worked in the emergency room for many years and he goes, and we would have five to 10 people come in from alcohol every few nights, especially on weekends. He goes, but in the 30 years that I was there at the hospital, we never had a single person come in for, for cannabis related any injuries or hallucinations. He goes, it was always alcohol. So that two cents out there. Now, when it comes to the investment side of it, I can tell you this, it's so early, everybody so early. I know the States are starting to legalize it and, we are so early in the stage. It is so dangerous. Most of these companies that are publicly traded, because that's the easiest vehicle that I would use, uh, are scams. Uh, it's a very dangerous place to be right now for investments. There is no dominator. Mm-hmm. Uh, there isn't a go-to company that I can recommend to you. In fact, we have uh, went over, uh, gosh, probably, I don't know, upwards of 200 companies that are public. We have Uh, We do plan on making a few investments, but they're not even public yet. So some of the companies that are the most legitimate ones, they're not even going to be public until 2018. So I would just tell everybody, be very careful. These companies, like you had said, they can't even open up bank accounts because the banks have kicked them out because of the FDI. They want to keep their FDIC insurance. Yep. Um, It's just a very, it's, it's good. There's going to, a lot of money is going to be made, but right now the only people who've made money are attorneys. So that's <laughs> the marijuana space. And the guys themselves that are creating the facilities, right? They, they've done really well. But like, like you said, it's not in the traditional like liquid fluid financial system. So it's very difficult to have a public company that, you know, can actually transact in a way that's efficient. Anyway, we won't get into, into that. But yeah, I would say with cannabis, what I've, what I've learned is that there are so many different uses to it. Uh, it's not just the, you know, the personal use side of things, which from a libertarian perspective, it's really easy to argue that. And you look at examples of all the other substances that people can partake in, they're way more dangerous. It comes down to, you know, just if you have values, you're going to, you know, you may use it, you may not use it. It's just like, let you decide, don't have some sort of, you know, institution or government entity decide in that, in that sense. Uh, But it's also, you know, really, if you look at where we are with the drug wars and with everything that's going on there, it's like, People are using it anyway, and it's totally messed up, a messed up system. This is a way in which, I mean, I would say it could solve multiple problems, but I would say in the end, the opportunity cost of not doing it because of the whole personal use thing is in all the byproducts that exist, whether it's, 
you know, the medicinal uses of it, uh, hemp use and how that can be, you know, really profound in the way in which textiles are, are made. There's so much opportunity cost there because of that kind of stupid rule that came about because of a, you know, a, a smear campaign of the hemp industry. And I guess, and there's other reasons as well. But I would say, you know, as far as that's concerned, you're right. I think that is definitely a sector in which could explode once there's kind of this, this federal tape that's cut. Uh, and it's only a matter of time. It's kind of like, you know, the trains on the tracks. It's just getting faster and faster and faster. And even though the bridge isn't constructed, like it, it's going to be constructed. Right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so that's cool. Yeah, I would definitely, I, I don't, I don't follow that as much as far as the topic is concerned. So, uh, but I have seen you, yeah, I have you see you comment on that a few times. Uh, okay. So maybe let's get into, uh, let's maybe go blockchain first. Cause I think blockchain is just, it's fascinating, but what's even more fascinating to me is just this, there, there's this like abstractness to it that you don't, nobody knows what it really is. And they just think it's another word for like, you know, cryptocurrency. Uh, and it's not. And it's a fascinating, fascinating technology that w- I think applies to any business that's going to be, you know, uh, gathering, gathering data and transacting, right? And as far as, you know, his history, there's going to be historical transactions, but also just like the privacy side of things uh, and the compliance side of things. It's a, a fascinating system. So maybe, uh, maybe give kind of some nuts and bolts of how blockchain works, maybe starting with like the difference between Bitcoin and, and blockchain. You know, the, it's, the Bitcoin itself is, is a cryptocurrency, and that's pretty much what makes the news. That's what most people listening to this show are familiar with. The, the blockchain is the technology behind it. And what it does is it's, it, it's uh, the best the way I've heard it explained. It was on a TED Talk. It was, it's the trust factor. So if you buy a home, you have third parties involved, multiple third parties from the bank who's your bank who's, who's distributing a wire to the other bank who's receiving the wire to the escrow company uh, who might be verifying that the house has clear title. There are a lot of third parties involved. What the blockchain does is, is it's self-verification. You're essentially relying on the computers which are not hackable in the sense that you cannot ha- hack the block blockchain. If you want to hack the Department of Defense, you've got one place to go, you can hack it. If you want to hack the blockchain, there are tens of thousands of computers involved. You'd have to hack them all at the same time and change them all at the same time to be able to go in and, and change something in it. So that's where the blockchain will come involved when we, you know, NASDAQ is already doing trial runs. The Australian Frankfurt and uh, Japanese stock exchanges they're already testing. Yesterday, actually, when I was at a blockchain conference, the TMX was there. These are the people who are in charge of the Toronto Stock Exchange. Hmm. So financial services, they're definitely going to use this because it's just an easier way to, to, save, to save money, reduce costs, have more security. Yep. We all saw this thing that happened with Equifax. Uh, yesterday, I learned that JP Morgan during the housing crisis in 08 was spending over $2.5 million a week trying to figure out who the hell owned all these mortgages that they were taking over from Bear Stearns. Mm-hmm. Literally. Yeah. And with the block, if, it, if that was inputted in, uh, with the blockchain, it would be, you'd be able to click something, open it up on the code, and it would show you everywhere this, uh, this mortgage had been and who exactly who owned it. The origination of it and the whole history behind it. Yeah, it wouldn't be relying on a third-party business that could go bankrupt. It would just be open source on the internet. And there are both private blockchains, there are public blockchains, there are centralized blockchains like Ethereum, and there are decentralized ones like Bitcoin and Litecoin. Mm-hmm. So you, you can participate by owning the coins, you can participate in owning 
uh, some of the businesses. Most of the businesses are private up until this point. Uh, futuremoneytrends.com is actually in the next week or two, we're going to be making a major announcement of, we believe the first legitimate blockchain company. It's go public. many major funds, the founder of Lionsgate, uh, entertainment, and uh, just some of the top people and some of the early adopters in the Bitcoin world. So, but again, I mean, and, and even that we're going back to the fundamentals. This is, these are the, the companies that actually produce and verify the blockchain. They, they call them mining companies, but they're not mining in the traditional sense. They're mining uh, in the sense that they have com- massive warehouses with computers in them that are essentially verifying and uh, the blockchain transactions and solving math problems, uh, just in the simplest term to explain it. And that is basically what holds it. That's why it's, uh, that's why it's not hackable. They've had professional hackers come in and what happens is they Try come in- it turn around to be uh, you know, enthusiasts of, of bl- the blockchain technology. So by the way, you know, there, there is Bitcoin and there's Ethereum and that is speculative. I wanna be very clear. We don't know what's gonna happen to that. That could go mm-hmm. to zero or it could go to 100,000, I don't know. But one thing for sure that's not speculative is the blockchain. Technology. No, and it's one of those, you're hitting, I mean, if you, if you look at what kind of compels us as, as human beings, Right. You kind of go through the order of, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs or whatever. But then you get to a point where you just want to do more. It's, it's efficiency. It's doing more with less and it's optimizing resources. And you're totally right. It's like with, with how amazing our world is when, with regards to technology and communication and, you know, what we've been able to come up with. It's just, it's just fascinating. But there is a lot of inefficiency. There's a lot of redundancy. There's a lot of waste. And it's insane. It's just, it's insane. And so if you look at what compels us as human beings, we try to solve problems. We try to make things easier. And that's where the blockchain technology fits in because it honestly makes things a lot easier in, I would argue, almost every, every industry, every industry that sells something, which is basically every industry. And that being the case, it will transform the world. It'll make things so much more uh, efficient and, you know, really, obviously, businesses associated with it are important to, to know about because uh, I don't know if there's anybody that has a patent on, on blockchain, do they? I don't know. That's Any intellectual question. property on there? You know, it's, it's open source. It's out there That's now, thought, especially yeah. with Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, one thing I was going to mention with blockchain is that uh, the Department of Defense uh, is now uh, looking into using blockchain for secure communications yeah. because, it's, because it has that unhackable factor. Yep. No, it's, and I think the, your mortgage thing, your like real estate thing, it's like the perfect example. And it, and it applies to the insurance industry, it applies to banking, it applies to everything. But yeah, it's like going from, you know, how do you, how do you buy a house? Well, you have to have a mortgage broker, then you have to, you know, then they submit to one of multiple banks and then the bank has all their processes and they wire money to a title company and they have all their processes and then they give money back to you and they give money back to this person. It's just such a freaking clunky system. But yet we've just conformed to industries being created around that. And that's what's really exciting is that you can essentially combine a lot of different industries um, and just have their core service be a very simple process as, a part, as opposed to this like complex, you know, just super wasteful, wasteful experience. So it's, in, it's interesting. So yeah, we'll link, if, yeah, why don't you send me, send me the link to that YouTube video. And I have a couple things too that I've um, that I've had, and we'll post those on the show notes so people can kind of get a better idea of, uh, of blockchain. Uh, and I also say, yeah, if, if you want to uh, uh, look, I think you guys have a, you have a free part of your newsletter too, right? The yeah, you'll send, or an email list. 
yeah, if you go to futuremoneytrends.com, subscribe, you get our weekly wealth digest. You'll also get the blockchain pick. And Sweet. again, it's, it's, you know, we do suggest Bitcoin and Ethereum as a speculation, clearly yeah. a speculation, only put money in that you are willing to risk losing all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but we're focused more on investing in the blockchain because we see that as more sustainable long-term. Got it. Well, let's maybe, let's transition there as far as, you know, the Bitcoins and the Ethereum because they're getting tons of publicity. Uh, and, you know, even recently, you know, JP or uh, not JP, J- yeah, JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, like made all sorts of, you know, comments on it, which totally like probably propelled, you know, the excitement of those that are kind of Bitcoin proponents. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really, it's really fascinating, but maybe let's transition to that and kind of, you know, dovetail into gold or go, kind of go back and forth because, you know, right now with our, with our economy, as I said before, you have all sorts of like exciting things that are going on. You have technology, you have, um, you know, just, I don't know, you, you, you look at what we can do as far as communicating with people and knowing uh, about one another. It's like, whether it's Facebook or social media, how to communicate with people, you know, whether it's business wise or personally, so many opportunities. I, I just, uh, I'm trying to get a, this person on the podcast that basically they have a specialty in, in consulting with a business to take a business completely virtual, right? Meaning they have, you know, nobody has like an office. It's one of those, it has, you know, people are spread throughout the, the country and these are hundreds of people uh, type of companies. I mean, you're going to have that that's, you know, coming into play in the future as well, where you don't have to necessarily like move to a certain city to work there. You'll be able to live wherever you want as long as you have a good internet connection. So anyway, it's like one of those things where it's, it's so, it's so amazing. But I would also say that there's this fragile, fragile nature of our economy because of how it's based and looking at how debt has really fueled the last 60, 70 years, as far as, you know, post-World War II and what we've developed since then. Right now, I think that, you know, there are a lot of consequences that could disrupt our economy, disrupt people's lives, disrupt businesses. So maybe let's kind of talk about that and get into, you know, gold and why is gold always this like it's always a topic of conversation when you're dealing with monetary policy or dealing with, you know, historic, historical things. Uh, and then, yeah, I would say let's, let's see where, you know, that goes as far as Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, because it's not just Ethereum and, and Bitcoin. Those are like the two Donald ones, but there's like so many derivatives of that as far as other types of cryptocurrencies that are coming out and a huge demand for it and international demand. So what, let's, let's kind of get into that. Like, what are your thoughts are just kind of on the, on the nature of our economy, like how things are going, like what's, what's going on that you're trying to pay attention to that you think could be one of those like things that they could cause one of those first dominoes to start, you know, affecting all the other dominoes down the line. <laughs> it's technology versus uh, government stupidity, I guess. But uh... <laughs> Seriously, based on about the, 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 what Jamie Dimon said, first off, Jamie Dimon said Bitcoin was a scam basically when it was at 50 bucks, but here's what's funny. <laughs> Everybody will fully appreciate this. The, the main seed investor in Ethereum is JP Morgan. I know. I is that insane? The biggest competitor to Ethereum is Bitcoin. So, I mean, look, take it for what it's worth. The biggest competitor to Bitcoin trashed Bitcoin. Okay. I get it. And of all people, you know, look, JP Morgan, you know, they, they, they not only, um, you know, uh, re- received different bailout funds during the mortgage crisis, but this is a company that has been ca- caught in many different type of trading manipulation scams and, uh, you know, things. So 
I, I don't know if he sh if he and that company is the best one to to be calling uh, Bitcoin a scam. So or anything for that matter. Yeah. So look for as far as I, I'm with you, man. I know exactly what you're getting at. With you look at if if you just look at what's going on with the national debt and the obligations. When you consider that all of the income from the U.S. government, federal government is spent on entitlements, which is social security and interest on the debt. And there's not a penny left over for the defense. There's not a penny left over to pay Congress. There's not a penny left for anything else. If you truly fully appreciate that, that all the money is going to just entitlements and interest and everything else we do in life in, in the federal government is borrowed, you'll be, you'll, you'll be in depression. You'll, you'll, you'll start preparing for the collapse in the, end of the world. Now on the flip side of it, if you see what's happening in Austin and Silicon Valley and you know other places all around the world, uh, you can get very excited and become a wild-eyed optimist. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, do I, I look at stocks and I'm like, okay, they're very overvalued right now. Yeah, but you know, so what what do we do about the 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 S and B five hundred type stocks? They're very overvalued. But at the same point in time, I'm torn because I look at the U.S. dollar and say, look where is this going? So do I want to own a currency that could be devalued uh, aggressively over the next five to 10 years? Or do I want to own Apple and Google and Coca-Cola? So, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, 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 we're, we're always in unprecedented times. People say we're in unprecedented times right now. Well, every human has always been able to say that. Exactly. We're in unprecedented times. <laughs> so, but yeah, you know, look, looking at what's going on with the sovereigns, you, you just had Austria come out with a hundred year bond at 2.1%. You've got negative interest rates in one third of the world, and you've got negative real yields in the United States, which is, you know, the interest rates are lower, the yield is lower than the inflation. actual inflation rate. And the inflation rate can be argued with, by the way, and as you know, I know you've covered all this stuff with, uh, mm -hmm. with Andy and uh, on your other shows. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it could be even worse. And, and gold in that environment does well. Now, mm -hmm. I advocate gold ownership as a, as a hedge, on basically everything that's out there uh, when it comes to the central planners mm -hmm. and the debt that the United States has and the world has. So I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not, you know, a perma bear on the dollar. I'm not a perma bull on, on gold. I think gold cyclically right now is a good investment. I think gold stocks, very select ones, cyclically can be good investments. Uh, although the mining sector historically is probably the worst investment you could make. I mean, if you, you know, a dream of buying a bear at gold and having your wealth compound, I mean, it's really a bad plan. Uh, these stocks do not perform well at all over the, over the long haul. They're very cyclical. If gold's not going to go up, they're not going up. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. No, anyway, so basically, you know, look, we, we advocate 5 to 10% ownership in, in, in gold. You know, right now I'd be on the higher end just because I think it's a very safe trade. Uh, but look, gold is gold. Gold is the, the end use. Uh, but, you know, silver I, get, I can get more excited about because silver has utility outside of being money. You know, gold really is just jewelry and money, which is fine. There's mm -hmm. no, I'm, not, I'm not trashing gold. That's a great use. Uh, but for silver, I can get more excited about because it's in everything and it's a, it's, I think it's a good investment. But, you know, gold ownership, we're, we're strong advocates of it right now cyclically. But, you know, in the bigger picture, you know, owning gold is like having some cash or, or having, you know, some, 
some some extra food in your house. It's you know I would look at it as insurance. I don't want gold to go up because it, look if gold goes to five thousand or ten thousand like some people predict, that's not good. No, we have way bigger issues. I don't. I don't want. If gold goes to ten thousand dollars, life's gonna really suck, guys. No one should get excited about their gold going up to ten thousand. Life is gonna <laughs> suck. Grapes at the grocery store, you know, are, are gonna be fifty bucks. You know, it's gonna be hard to buy to buy things. There might be civil unrest. You don't want gold to go up, but gold is there and its purpose is there in case there is some sort of major financial reset or major crisis that you have some wealth that is recognized and I don't care what system we go into in the future, the gold will still have value. But with that said, I'm still very optimistic because of everything that's going on with technology. Well, I think, and that's where I used kind of the domino, the domino effect, because it's kind of like, you know, who knows what that domino is, um, but once it hits, you can't go back and like try to pick that domino up again, right? The events are already gonna go, all, everything's gonna happen down the line. And that's where it's kind of like with the situation we're in, yeah, if gold does do that and prices start to get super volatile, like it's not gonna last very long because things will go into chaos. That's why I say fragile is because right now it's a, it's a debt-based society and it all revolves around interest rates, right? And it's an international economy. And that's why it's like people, you know, countries are pissed that we're raising the debt ceiling, which means now they're going to have to do the same thing, right? To keep kind of as close to parity as possible with exchange rates. And it's yeah. one of those, like, everybody's just continuing to do it. And, you know, like you said, like right now, the, the, the government piles on $600, $700 billion per year, right? More in debt than, right? Than they, than they had the previous year because that's where, they, that's where the money they spend comes from. I mean, there's, it's all, you can only go so far and they're right there pushing those, pushing those limits. And I don't know what the end game uh, is going to be because you're absolutely right. It's like, you know, I think I, I, I don't know when I started to see this, but this is years ago when you have companies that were getting these like hundred million dollar valuations and then 500 million. And then there's like three that are just about 45 minutes from me. Like there's, it's called billionaires row, right? Where it's like they ha- they're worth a billion dollars. I'm like, like one of them like does surveys. Like how are they freak? How are they worth a billion dollars? And it had nothing to do with like the money they were making, right? It had to do with just like their list and their opportunity and you know, the need depending on the business and who their clients were. And then they get, you know, these huge rounds of funding, uh, even though they're not making hardly any money. And it's one of those just, you know, those big companies have gotten so uh, gotten bigger, right? Because of that kind of dynamic, being able to buy up other companies, being able to maximize market share. And, and it's just, it's just crazy because they're, they're benefiting from it for sure. And they're able to take that money and innovate and invest here and invest here and try this and try that. So yeah, we're getting so much as far as technology and benefit from that point. But it's also like, okay, yeah, but there are consequences to that because that, the debt that is fueling a lot of this has to be repaid, right? And it's one of those, who's going to pay it? Right now, we can't even afford the interest. How are we going to pay? You know, sure. How are we actually going to pay off the principal? So it's one of those, I don't know, it, it goes so far down into those kind of trails of logic that you know, it's very hard to really come up with an end game scenario as far as how things are going to flush out. And the whole world's interconnected. There's no, there's no country that's going to screw over another country, especially when you talk about the big ones. People are worried about China screwing over the U.S. or the U.S. screwing over China. It's not going to happen uh, because they're interconnected. They, uh, the U.S. needs China. China needs the U.S. 
And there's an idea out there that the emerging uh, markets are going to uh, take over and uh, they're going to replace the United States and the West. Look, the fact of the matter is, is the emerging economies are all commodity dependent. You've got, you know, average incomes, in, you know, whether it's the Philippines or Costa Rica, I mean, it's, it's you know, in the five to $8,000 range, maybe, you know, $15,000 in China. They're so far behind us. I mean, they're not even, it's, it's, it's ridiculous how far, how many decades uh, the other countries would be behind us for them to somehow, the United States goes third world and these countries go first world. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't see that in the future. I see a lot of these doom forecasters talking about how it's going to, you know, all, all happen. And it's China's century. Look, you can say it's China's century, but let's be real. Everybody says we don't make anything, but yet Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, IBM, biggest companies in the world, the biggest companies in the world of what? What is important to everybody right now? By the way, I don't show anybody my text messages. Anyway, <laughs> look, the, the, the United States is a huge innovator for the world. Mm-hmm. And our technology products are, are, are going out. So, yes, we do make stuff. We make technology. Maybe mm-hmm. we don't make the TVs, mm-hmm. but our companies are making the TVs work better. They're making them more efficient. They're the technology behind those TVs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those manufacturing jobs are gone and maybe some will come back, but we, we don't even need them to come back because yep. we, if we are the technology giant. And honestly, that, if, you know, do the math. That's the future. That's what's happening. That world is unfolding. Uh, you know, we've gone in a parabolic move with innovation. We don't want to lose that. We want to keep pushing through. All right. So what, so I would say, yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about something lately and this is where I, I really gravitate toward, toward gold uh, for a specific reason. And I, you know, a couple of years ago, I read the, you know, Jim Rickard's book on you know, the, case, the new case for gold, which I think the introduction to that has helped me clarify something just in my mind, as far as the significance of that, uh, of that standard. Now, and this is where, you know, I've made some connections based on things I do at with, with my business and what has helped me uh, tremendously, I would say, in my personal life without really associating uh, it with gold or money in general. So, and this is, this is what it is. So, if you look, if you look at the, uh, how, how a country operates or you look at how a business operates, right, it, it, most successful ones, I'm not going to say all because I just don't know, but the ones I've seen, see, uh, seen that are the most successful do it because they have a standard set of values. And the reason is, is because it's not a person versus person it's a person versus an ideal. It's a person versus uh, a principle that's unchanging, right? And either honesty is this or it's that. But if we both agree with honesty, then when you're dishonest or you're dishonest, you don't have to fight about it. You know what? It, you know that you're right or you're wrong. So the idea behind a value or a principle is very similar to you know some of the principles of the Constitution, right? Or you know the the principles of a religion or like commandments. Like you can't argue those either you agree with them or you don't, which is fine. But if you agree to them, it's very hard to say like, well, no, that's not this or no, that's not that, right? You have a value or a standard in which you operate. And I can't remember who, who says the quote, but they said, if values are understood, decisions are easy. Okay. And it comes down to, it's not a person and their bias associated with the decision, right? It's the actual value itself and what is in alignment with that value and what isn't. So as I look at gold or I look at, you know, this type of standard, one of the arguments Rickards makes, which is just fascinating, is that on the periodic table, it is the only element that, is, that could be a standard like this, where it's acceptable everywhere and everybody agrees upon its elements. It agrees upon its principles. 
And if they do, okay, then you can't manipulate that. So if you look at a world international economy, okay, we all have different currency names, but in the end, it all represents the same thing, which is a value, a value of labor, a value of goods, a value of services, Okay. When you have some sort of standard or value like gold, now you can have people interact with one another. But right now, that doesn't exist. Yeah. Okay. And that's the reason why you have you know, so much debt associated with Japan. Like the Bank of Japan is like a train wreck if you really look at their balance sheet. But you look at the US, then you look at China, and you look at what everybody is doing around the world just to kind of create that standard of value. And it's going to be impossible unless you have a medium that everybody agrees on. And that does not exist right now. And so I look at, you know, what the future holds and it's going to have to come home to to roost. That doesn't mean that, you know, my services aren't going to be valuable. Your services aren't going to be valuable. That doesn't matter really. What matters in the end is that it's basically measured. That value is measured by something that is identical. And that's where I really see things going. I don't know though. I could be totally, totally wrong. But in the end, I would say that, you know, like you, you mentioned, no country wants like the other country to, to go away in theory. We're all like, we're all in, we're all like business and we all have experienced life and we want uh, to have, be happy and do this and do that. It's like one of those things where we all have very common, common interests in the end. Having this standard of value, I think, is what everyone's going to gravitate toward. Gold has been it in the past. There's a huge argument for it right now, and I think it's always going to play a role in the in the future. Um, and, and that's just that's just me and what I've learned over over the years. But I'll give you kind of a final word on that and what you what you do to track gold, what you you know what you're looking what you're looking at, uh, and uh, and then we'll then we'll go ahead and wrap and wrap things up. Well, it, it, what you just said though, it's interesting. I just thought of something. You know, gold has been the enemy of the central banks for some time, and uh, if if uh, if there was a alternative currency like a cryptocurrency that became a threat to the central banks it's 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 interesting they could go back to the central banks could go back to gold and become make it their strongest ally mm-hmm. because having some sort of currency backed by gold or a portion of gold which i don't really see happening but if it did happen that would be a strong alternative to a to a private cryptocurrency that was taken over the world in the central banks uh, world at least Anyway, um, you know, what do we do to track gold and, and, and silver? Um, you know, we focus on when, when it comes to the uh, actual mining shares, we focus on the people. Um, you know, again, we, these are very risky investments. And for gold and silver, you know, I actually, I, I'm a big fan of Jim Rickards. Uh, I know you like him as well. He, he by the way, he hates cryptocurrencies. I know. <laughs> and, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I don't do anything specific other than, you know, hold some and, and not think about it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm... I'm probably like most of the listeners unless it makes headlines i'm not i'm not a person that follows the daily price of gold if it's down a lot or up a lot i'll probably know about it and if it's down a lot i'll buy some more and that's a good idea if anybody's watching this uh you know if if you, if you see something move down sharply and you want to own it that's the day to buy it if you see it up just leave it alone because you're probably about to lose money <laughs> well in the end yeah i mean it's one of those things where yeah, we as humans, we don't know everything. We're just trying to kind of figure things out as they as they happen. Uh, and in the end, there's a lot of commonalities. There's still stuff that we have no clue about. And it's in the end, I look at, you know, really, and this is the financial advice I try to give everyone. It's not necessarily product driven, but it's people, it's you, it's you driven. And it comes down to you. If you can figure out a way to be valuable, it doesn't matter what that value is backed by. 
right? You'll still be able to go on vacation, feed your family, um, do cool things. And in the end, that's where we have the most control. All this other stuff, we don't have much control over. We can speculate. There's all sorts of conjecture. But in the end, it's one of those things where I think it's a cool time to be alive, right? Unprecedented times, right? It's, but it's, you know, it's one of those, in the end, what do you have control over? Where's the most wealth always created? And it's always based on you and a person, not based on a thing. And, uh, and I think you agree with, with a lot of that, a lot of that sentiment. Um, but you know, I, I really love how you've written about certain things and what you've done with your business. It's, it's awesome to hear about. Uh, and we have to do this like, again, before two years, you know, be 2019 and two, in two years. <laughs> I always say my favorite stock symbol is Y O U. It's that person looking at you in the, in the mirror. That's where your income is going to come from. It's so funny. People love to reallocate, but if you just look in the mirror, that's where most of your money comes from. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's amazing. It's like the re- best return is you how to f- you figure out how to make more money. <laughs> That's the best return. You have to invest any. You may have to invest some, but it's more of like, if you try to just think about it, you're going to make more money. Yeah. Anyway, I think we're, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's always fun to have that type of, you know, theoretical discussion. But uh, anyway, Daniel, it was awesome to have you on, man. Th- thank, thank you so much for your support. And uh, it's been, it's been such a pleasure. We'll link to everything that we mentioned uh, here so that people can get a hold of you. And, uh, and subscribe to you. I know you're on all the social media channels as well, as well as your podcast. Uh, but again, really appreciate you being on and we'll, uh, we'll have to get you on a lot sooner than two years. Thanks very much, Patrick. You have a good one. You too. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast, the gold standard in all things financial.